Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. This program is the first of a two-part series with Mendocino County Sheriff Tom Allman, recorded on April 8, 2011, in the Radio Curious studios located in Ukiah, California. Sheriff Allman and I discussed the procedures to legally grow marijuana in Mendocino County, the problems of large illegal grows and what is being done about them, and a whole lot about Tom Allman. The next edition will be the second half of our conversation. So here we go. Tom Allman, welcome to Radio Curious. Barry Vogel, thanks for having me back. So when you were first elected sheriff, you talked about your program for zip ties on marijuana plants. You now uh, make them available. How's that project going? Well, um, for your listeners who may not remember or may not have heard or don't care about zip ties, let me, uh, let me tell you what they are. When I was elected sheriff in 06, I had worked my way through the ranks from deputy sheriff to sergeant to lieutenant, and I certainly saw the impact that marijuana was having on our criminal justice system. Not just the impact of whether you can legalize medical marijuana or you can legalize recreational marijuana. I'm talking about the impact that was causing me concern, and that's expending public safety services on investigations that really and truly may not need to be investigated. Here we are in 2011, and we have, I believe the last count is 14 states in the District of Columbia have legalized medical marijuana one way or the other. And so we have this acceptance from, by society for medical marijuana, but we still have um, a group of our society which do everything they can to oppose medical marijuana. And I, I'm not going to say where I am one way or the other because that's not my purpose. My purpose as sheriff is to merely enforce the law. So I, I actually think I have the easiest job of everyone. You know, but don't you think that the concept of medical marijuana is really a charade? Because so many people use it for enjoyment, just like so many people use alcohol for enjoyment. And to say, I need to visit a doctor and I need to get a recommendation is not going to persuade a lot of people to do that. Barry, I, I guess some people could say it's a charade. And I'm not saying that some cases are not a charade. I, I've said that there's probably a single-digit percentage of genuine, legitimate medical marijuana patients that would meet that criteria of the same um, medical situation that we saw in 1996 during Proposition 215's promotion during the election, you know, when you had cancer patients on TV. Uh, and, and the mere title of it in California is this Compassionate Use Act of 1996. You have the senior citizens with glaucoma and so forth. So there is probably a single-digit percentage of people who are legitimate medical marijuana patients who are consuming the marijuana for true medical purposes. However, there's another 90%, and that's why I'm suggesting that the law is a charade and a way of allowing something in certain language, which most people know goes on anyhow. Okay, Barry, but we live in an interesting place called a democracy. And I don't think that when the voters passed 215, they said, well, we want the cops to be doctors too, so the cops can go up and talk to someone and say, well, tell me about your back pain. Does it really hurt? 
when does it hurt? You mean it only hurts in the morning? Well, then why do you have marijuana in the evening? I, so I, I understand your point, but it's not – it may be a charade, and that's – you're getting into a political discussion of, you know, should it be wide open, you legalized? But notwithstanding the fact that you claim you have the easiest job, I think you are at the pinnacle of one of the most political jobs in our county and in a way in our state because of what marijuana represents and where it's grown and the outspoken uh, uh, path that you have chosen. Well, that, that may be true, but I don't make the laws, and that's a good thing. I enforce the laws, and I don't tell people – well, I think the law should be this. I don't do that. Uh, I use analogies. Let me give you some analogies, okay? And I'm, you're a brilliant man, Barry. I'm not trying to play games with you. But let me say this in ways that maybe your listeners will say, well, that makes sense to me. Because we keep having this conversation about medical marijuana over and over and over. And the same points are used. People hear what they want to hear. And as, as they're hearing this, they make their, in their mind, they're making up their decision of what their comeback response is going to be. And, and it doesn't make sense because we keep repeating ourselves. I've had conversations with the same people in this county literally a hundred times, and I don't think any new points have been brought up on either side. You know, and so we, we agree to meet, but all we're doing is we're reminding each other of each other's opinion, and that's not making any progress. So let's, let's talk analogies. First of all, uh, where you and I are lucky enough to live, Barry, we have – Highway 101 come right through our county. And two miles from us, Highway 101 speed limit is 65 miles an hour. And I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but as you and I are talking right now, there are people out on the highway speeding. They're doing 75, 80. Some of them might be doing 85 or 90 miles an hour. Well, when those people get caught by law enforcement, they're given a citation and they get their day in court. They get to either plead guilty or tell the judge they don't believe that they were going that fast or tell the judge why they were going that fast. So what I'm saying is we don't close down the highway because people are speeding. We catch the ones who are violating the speed laws, those that we can catch, and we write them up and they can get their day in court. And if they have to pay a fine, that's fine. If they're found innocent, that's fine too. Look, government has many facets, and law enforcement's part of this is just merely catching the people who are violators. So with, so with medical marijuana, that's the same – let's use that same – um, analogy and say, if we catch a people who are growing under the auspice of medical marijuana, but in the dark of night, they're drug dealers and they're selling 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds at a time, well, then law enforcement's responsibility is to catch them doing that and let them have their day in court. That's why I say it's a charade. Because people can have the recommendations, and they can get the zip ties, and they can grow uh, what for the grower may be far more than they need for their personal use, but it's still a crime to transport it and to sell it. Barry, I'm going to go back to my analogy. You can go down to the local Chevy dealership right now and buy a Corvette that will go 150 miles an hour. But you can't drive 150 miles an hour. But I know if you buy that Corvette – you're going to want to go 120, 130 miles so an hour just once tempted. and say you've done it. You'd be tempted. And so the, I'm not trying to be too elementary in here, but I'm saying I don't want this conversation to get to the point where we are denying that single-digit percentage of people 
who actually need medical marijuana to have their medical marijuana. So law enforcement is up for a challenge. Law enforcement is saying, listen, we need to change the way we investigate. We can't just fly the the mountains anymore and say there's marijuana, let's land a helicopter, get our machetes, whack the marijuana down, and arrest the people. There's actually some investigations that have to take place now. You might see a large marijuana field. You might have to investigate. Is it, who's a landowner? Do they have a medical marijuana cooperative permit from our county? There, there's many things that are happening. So and when you're in the air, you can now use uh, a GPS to know exactly where the parcel is and where the grow is. Well, of course. I don't it? think the courts are going to take away technology from law no, enforcement. No, but, but I just wanted to be sure that we're clear on, sure. on the use of that. Yeah. And then you can identify who the landowner is, whether they have the zip ties, and how many they're uh, purportedly allowed to, uh, how many plants are purportedly allowed to grow. If they're not in the voluntary zip tie program, then what you just said is absolutely correct. If they're in a cooperative zip tie program, yes. The, the voluntary zip tie program is how this whole thing got started. And when you and I talked four years ago, five years ago on this, what my vision was is to allow people to voluntarily come into the sheriff's office or any county department at that time, but no one else would take it, the sheriff's office. They purchase these plastic strips that have serial numbers on them. And the, they're, they're uh, just like a wire zip tie, you know, you'd use to, if you're doing wiring around your house. But they're a little bit bigger and they're color-coordinated or color-coded. Each year is different color. And like I said, they have serial numbers. And you purchase up to 25 at $25 a piece, unless you're a veteran or on Medi-Cal, and then it's half price. These zip ties go on the base of the marijuana plant. And when a law enforcement officer comes to your house to investigate, he spends five minutes there counting the plants and looking at the zip ties, as opposed to spending two hours there and calling your doctor, looking at your zip tie or your recommendation, talking to you, basically um, taking two hours out of your life. And so when I first started, we had uh, people on our board of supervisors who told me, Sheriff, this is an interesting plan, but it will not work. And I said, wait a minute. This isn't just for me. This isn't to make it easier on my deputy sheriffs. This is to allow a citizen the comfort of knowing that if they put one of these zip ties on a base of their marijuana plant, and they needed to go downtown and buy a gallon of milk, they wouldn't have to worry that while they're gone from their house, the cops are going to show up, cut down their marijuana, and leave. So how many zip ties can a person get? Up to 25. You have to bring in your original recommendation. And I know that you have listeners that are outside of our county, Mendocino County. But in Mendocino County, our county ordinance says that you cannot grow more than 25 plants per parcel unless you're a member of the cooperative program. So there's no need to, for anybody to have more than 25. If they say their doctor says they need 100 um, zip ties, we would actually sell them 100, but they couldn't grow more than 25 on any one parcel. So let's say someone owns 40 acres, okay. and there are two separate 20-acre parcels that are adjacent. Is that one parcel or two parcels? We'd look at the tax number. And if you have one AP number, it's one parcel. And if you have more than one, it's however many more you have times 25. Yes, there is some um, technical language on there. You're limited on how many adjoining parcels you can have so you don't get into this great big um, marijuana farm. Because let's not forget, uh, with 
with the um, acceptance of society, so society's acceptance of marijuana, comes the unfortunate um, realism that crime is attracted to marijuana growers. And so we've seen an upswing in home invasions. We've seen an upswing in personal assaults. And so we're trying to prevent people from having 10 parcels that are adjoining and having 25 plants per parcel and having 250 marijuana plants and having a target where people are going to drive up and, and cause crime. Well, Tom, I want to say this to our listeners. This is Radio Curious. We are talking with Mendocino County Sheriff Tom Allman, and I'm Barry Vogel, host and producer. This interview was recorded on August 8th, 2011. We talk with Tom Allman occasionally over the years. I think this is our fourth or fifth interview, Tom. Seems like it. Tom, you talk about large grows. Large grows way over 25 plants. That's going on in the national forests around uh, and adjacent to Mendocino County, California. Recently, there was a program that you had to discuss that and to raid those uh, plantations, if you will. Well, I want to correct you on something, and I don't think I've ever corrected you on anything, Barry, because I've known you for a while. You said that the marijuana is being grown on our public lands, and my correction is, Marijuana is being grown on all public lands in our nation, uh, with the exception of the outer skirts of Alaska, where there's still snow there. There's our, our, think of what our public lands are. Our public lands are beautiful, remote areas that don't have a lot of traffic, that usually have a good water source, and that are very limited in their law enforcement um, officers that are assigned to them. And so you put all those factors together and you get the perfect situation for people to grow marijuana in a very covert operation. And these are people who may not even be citizens of this, of this nation, but then again, they could be citizens of this nation. You know, I, d I don't want to put this on any one ethnicity. Does that make a difference? It, it doesn't make a difference in my eyes. You know, I, I've had people tell me, Sheriff, we want you to go arrest the Mexicans who are growing marijuana on our public land. And I look at them and I said, well, what about the white guys? You want me to arrest them too? And they just look at me like, well, I hadn't thought of that. We don't get our, our skin color card out and say, we're going to arrest you because you meet, you're this tone, but we're not going to arrest you. We've seen some environmental damage in our public lands, Barry, that if I showed you right now, you would not want lunch. You, you would get sick to your stomach. Well, I saw those when I was chief deputy DA doing environmental protection law here. You haven't seen the 11 news. years ago. You haven't seen the, the photographs. In the last three weeks, we've removed almost 60 tons of garbage from our national forest. So that's 120,000 pounds of garbage. Uh, I'm talking household, tin can, uh, car batteries, dirty diapers, empty fertilizer containers, garbage, 120,000 pounds from a national forest. At a cost, it, it costs us in a neighborhood. Uh, the federal government's saying it's costing us $5,000 an acre. I'm telling you, with the helicopter time that we spend, it's much more than that. And, and that's our focus. Our focus is going after these environmental situations where people are, I'll give you an example, we saw a headwater stream of the Eel River. 
where there was a large pipe in the headwater sucking water out and going directly to a holding tank for marijuana. And I know there's people who are going to say, well, you know, who cares? You know, they're taking some water. We have a species of salmon in our county, Barry, that summer steelhead, that are as about as close to extinct as possible. And we have people that are damaging their water source. So let's stay with this for a minute. And what I was talking about earlier in terms of uh, medical marijuana being a charade. If marijuana were to be legal and have control, given uh, for our conversation, a control similar to what alcohol has, do you think that the problems that you were just describing in the national forests would be less? Well, you threw me for a loop by saying less instead of, you know, negated. And, of course, they'd be less. But Is uh, it worth it then to... A work towards general legalization to reduce the amount of that problem. Just as controlling liquor did not solve all of the problems with liquor. Well, I guess it is worth it for some people in their cause. We all agree that society is accepting marijuana more and more each day. That, that goes without saying. You know, when I started in law enforcement, if you had less than an ounce of marijuana, you went to jail. Now, if you have less than an ounce of marijuana, in pretty much most of the states, you get a citation. You pay a civil fine um, if it's not me medical. Uh, so the, the acceptance on many fronts, uh, whether it's cultivation, possession, transportation, um, even sales with dispensaries, is being accepted by society. However, you know, the, the newspaper yesterday used a good analogy in their editorial where they said the complete legalization of marijuana is not going to stop people from abusing our national forest any more so than having allowing people to have a, the right hunting zones, you know, deer zone, turkey, or, or whatever hunting season it is, has stopped poachers. We still have poachers. So control is is the right word that you use because I ask people when they have this conversation with me, I'll say, well, is, is liquor, is alcohol legal? And they'll say, well, yes, it is, Sheriff. And I'll say, well, I'm, I'm going to differ with you on this one. I'm going to say that it's not legal unless you meet the criteria, such as you have to be over 21, such as you can't have an open container while you're driving down the road, such as if you get a drunk driving, you're going to be put on probation and you, can't, you have to abstain from alcohol during your entire probation, such as you can't manufacture more than five gallons at your house per year. So I'm not saying it's legal. I'm saying it's controlled. And if we're going to continue down the marijuana path, which we are, you know that society is, I encourage every lawmaker and law enforcement administrator to pre-think the problems that we're going to have and think about this. And I'll give you an example. Let's take black plastic pipe. It's a pretty innocent piece of tool, garden tool, uh, garden equipment that everybody knows what it is. You know, black plastic pipe. Barry, in the last three weeks, in the Mendocino National Forest, we, as in law enforcement and government and volunteers, removed over 180,000 feet of black plastic pipe. So I challenge you to tell me why black plastic pipe would be used in a national forest for anything other than cultivating marijuana. And you're probably going to say, well, I can't think of a use. And so I'm working with the Board of Supervisors right now to actually 
make black plastic pipe, the transportation into our, black, our national forest, illegal. So our deputy sheriffs and our forest rangers and our highway patrol will have probable cause to stop these vehicles that are driving into the forest with miles and miles of black plastic pipe. Of course, they, you know, they might say, well, they're just transporting it across the mountain to Interstate 5 because it's closer. Well, okay, but let's talk about that because these people are really and truly ruining the, the crown jewel of our county. There are six counties that surround the Mendocino National Forest, Tehama, Trinity, Glen, Calusa, Lake, and Mendocino. And this operation that we just concluded started with me asking the five other sheriffs, hey, guys, do you mind if we just take out our pencil eraser in the Mendocino National Forest, which is 915,000 acres, and erase our county lines and say, well, this is, not my, this is just my corner, so I'm not worried what happens to the other part. Because what happens in my part of the Mendocino National Forest happens in everybody's part of the Mendocino National Forest. Let's talk about money. Okay. Many people have said that uh, marijuana is the cash crop for Mendocino County and the related counties that you just mentioned. I think you have a personal take on that, perhaps is a little different. Well, I, I was raised in Humboldt County, so that's the county to the north of us. Uh, I was raised in a very blue-collar family. My mom was a second-grade school teacher. My dad was a businessman. And marijuana has always been part of the community that I lived in. Now, I'm saying this, and people are going to say, well, he's not telling the truth, but I'm telling you, I've never smoked it. I've never grown it. I've never sold it in my life. And that's because you uh, told somebody when you were a young lad you wanted to be a fireman. I want to be a fireman. And the local fire chief says, if you ever smoke marijuana, you'll never be a fireman. And he scared the crap out of me. His name is Chris Christensen. He lives up in uh, Shasta County. Do you, think he, do you think he was right? No, he's not right. He wasn't right. But you know what? So it's a personal decision. Well, at, no, wait a minute. At that time in society, it wasn't accepted. And let's say that I had been 21 years old instead of 14 years old when he told me that. If I had been a 21-year-old in 1975, there's a very good possibility I couldn't have been a fireman if I, smoked, if I had admitted to smoking marijuana. But it just continues, society continues to accept it in one form or the other. So, you know, today um, I wouldn't hire a deputy sheriff who smokes marijuana, but I would hire a deputy sheriff who in his past has smoked marijuana but you would hire a deputy sheriff who uh drinks beer or wine or uh, hard spirits not in excess but yes because that is not a violation of any law whatsoever so if you had a deputy sheriff who uh, an, an applicant for a deputy sheriff who had a doctor's recommendation uh that wouldn't uh wouldn't fly it would not fly with me because i think there's some federal guidelines for peace officers and it's, it's not going to fly with me. You know, I'm saying this, you just said the date of today, August 8, 2011. Maybe on August 8, 2014, the rules are going to be relaxed some. But I, I, maybe I'm wrong on this. I have an expectation, and I believe there's a lot of citizens who have an expectation, that policemen, firemen, truck drivers, paramedics, surgeons, People who always have to be at the top of their game because they're making life decisions, life-changing decisions. I believe that those people can't just say, well, I have my, my back hurts and I'm going to smoke marijuana today 
but I'm going to drive my big rig full of 10,000 gallons of gasoline tomorrow because I don't want those truck drivers on the road. And those truck drivers still have to have federal you know, urine um, samples, uh, urine tests on a regular basis. Uh, and the scientific methods of, of getting testing for marijuana, um, the, the cheapest, cheaper tests do not quantify how much marijuana is in your system. They just say yes or no. So let's talk about the cash crop and the influx that marijuana brings of discretionary spending dollars to, uh, to our community. Well, I, I'm going to say a little farther. I, 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 there's families who get marijuana for much more than discretionary spending. I mean, there's, Yeah, it there's, supports them. There's people who are supported by marijuana, but you can't legally support yourself by selling marijuana. And there are businesses that are supported by people who grow marijuana. I believe that's true, too. So tell me your thoughts. Well, first of all, and I, I'm not saying this to be cheesy. Remember, I'm a COP. I'm not a CPA. And I'm not, I'm not a sociologist either. And I'm not going to sit here and say that marijuana brings money to our community so marijuana is good. I'm not saying that at all. But I think that there are people who are able to fly under the radar that grow marijuana and sell it for medical needs, for basic housing needs, and so forth. And I don't think they're ever going to get caught because they don't push the envelope. They're not out growing, you know, 150 plants at the top of a mountain. They're, they're growing at maybe five, six, seven plants in their backyard. And law enforcement, really and truly, we're not giving those people a second look. So they're below your radar even if they come on the radar. Well, you know, if, if, if somebody, if we go into somebody's garden and they have seven plants, and I say, why are you growing seven plants? And they say, because I have to sell this to make my mortgage. That person is just admitted to a felony. So, I, and I, I don't know if anybody has ever said that to me. I, I had a situation in, in Laytonville many years ago where I arrested a woman for 25 or 30 plants, and she was r- getting money so she could buy false teeth. Well, I, I think there's a, a moral dilemma uh, in a situation like that, when somebody cannot afford false teeth for the qual- you know they cannot have as good a quality of life as say I am, and she says, "Tom, I don't smoke it. I just have to get twenty five hundred dollars so I can get some false teeth." Well, you know what? To um, to people who are saying all marijuana, you know, is horrible, terrible, awful. I, to that, those people, I would say, well, listen. Would you rather this woman? We go after this woman who's growing marijuana to get false teeth, or would you rather us go after the person who's growing marijuana so he can buy his third Porsche or he can spend his winters in South America and you know, get his money in the summer and take all of his money out? And, and I think that even the hardened conservative would say, well, of course, we'd like to, for you to go after the big drug dealer. So that's the discretion of the extent to which you as sheriff enforce the law. No, I, I, I don't. Please don't put words in my mouth. I, I'm not saying that's a discretion. I'm saying those are moral dilemmas that law enforcement officers are put into on a regular basis. The next edition of Radio Curious will conclude this interview with a lot of time devoted to the man 
Tall Moment. That's when we'll hear the usual questions. The Eureka Moment, what he'd like to do with the rest of his precious life, and the book that Tom read most recently. All editions of Radio Curious are free for anyone, anywhere, to listen, download, and enjoy. There are about 400 archive editions on our website, www.radiocurious.org. You may subscribe to our podcast at our website. Our email is curious at radiocurious.org. Snail mail is post office box 7, Ukiah, U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482. And the phone is 707-462-6541. You've been listening to Radio Curious. Christina Anastad is the associate producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.